Well, hey everyone, I'm Pastor Judd Wilhite, and I wanna thank you for joining us today. You know, Central's a place where it's okay to not be okay. And we are so glad that you're here. I hope you enjoy this message. Thank you so much, so much. You may be seated. I'm so excited to be here at Central. I wanna tell you uh, from the outside, so sometimes it's good when you're in the middle of it, someone from the outside is able to see what maybe you can't see. But I just wanna encourage you as a church, what you're doing is making a difference. And in fact, you may not see yourself this way, but a lot of churches and a lot of pastors like me are better because of how you love people, how you serve people, how you reach out to people in their most desperate moments. Can we give God a round of applause for his church? You guys are amazing, and uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Judd and I and and Lori, we become good friends, but how we actually connected was my wife said, I have been watching this amazing preacher on YouTube. And I thought maybe she was listening to my messages. (laughs) She was listening to your pastor. And she said, this guy's amazing. He is filled with grace and hope, and he handles the Bible well, and he loves people. Like, he's like, like he, well, there's a connection there. And so we had him come, and he really blessed our church. Uh, you have leaders, Pastor Judd and Lori, that love you. They talk about you. They, are, they, they know God's called them here to reach people. They have integrity. Can we give God a round of applause for your pastors and who they are? And, yeah, yeah, Exodus, Exodus 3.10 is where we're gonna go. It's in the front of the Bible. It's the second book there, Exodus 3.10. Then we're gonna go to Exodus 4.10. And I just want you to know, I wanna give you a gift this weekend here at Central. As Pastor Judd said, I, I lead our church like, like a dad. I have a, a pastor's heart. I have a, a pastoral gifting and even as we're worshiping, I can feel some of you. It's, it's just really weird to, to say, like, you, you may not relate to it, but I can, I can feel some of you and the challenges you're facing and some of the things that you're, you're battling. And I want to give you a gift here for just a few moments to do a little reflection, look at some scripture, tell you a story about a big character in the Bible and and maybe help some of you get a little unstuck. Maybe have you leave church this weekend with a little more hope. Leave with some encouragement. Leave with a little bit of a better path forward. And we're gonna talk about it together, but I also want you to know that I'm here speaking, but I am a pastor, but I also live a real life like you. I'm a husband. I'm a dad, I'm a dad of four kids. I have two that have graduated college. Um, They're off the payroll in Jesus' name. Can we get a shout out in the house of God? (laughs) Well, kinda. My oldest there, Hannah, uh, she, she got married. She was my first wedding. Some of you that have never been through this, let me just give you some pastoral encouragement. Uh, we, we had a committee form with her and her mom and sisters, and uh, I thought I was a voting member of the committee. They invited me to the committee. I learned I was just on the finance committee. Um, I didn't really get a vote, so um, 
She's also pregnant. My wife was here last night. She flew back to Dallas because she's like starting labor and she's pregnant with my first grandchild. So I'm about to have my first grandchild. But um, I learned something about that too. Uh, grandbaby means every time you mention their name, it costs you a grand. Like just bringing cribs in. I'm like, didn't we already do this? Uh, yeah, so I got one boy, three girls, dropped off the third girl at college recently. Then I have a seventh grader. Yeah, I had to go all the way back. Seventh grade, carpool, all my drivers left the house. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, man. And I'm telling you, I'm having to get my faith up because seventh grade girls need to get saved in Jesus' name, man. I'm just telling you, it's a trip. So I'm living real life with you. And here's what I've learned. Every season presents new challenges. When you're in a season of transition, some of you may be in a season of transition, that has a unique pressure. And what we do in every season is we ask a question, even if you're not cognitively aware that you're asking the question, you begin to ask this question, who am I? Who am I? I, I, I maybe kinda knew who I was here, and, and now it's like I'm not married, but now I am married, but then now I have children, I have maybe stepchildren, I have a job transition, and, and, and life has a way of many times what we expected it to be like. It's not like it is at all. And so our disappointments about our expectations, and it brings us to this question, who am I? Who am I now in this season, and by the way, I spent about a year, wrote this book on identity, it's a, it's a, it's a major topic, and, and if you have children or you have friends, it's one thing when you're struggling with who you are, but man, it's a whole other thing when you're walking someone you love through some insecurities and identity issues. I wanna, I wanna talk about that because the Bible actually has a lot to say about it. I spent some time looking in scripture, and I'm gonna tell you about a big figure in the Bible this weekend, but there's a lot of characters in the Bible that struggled with the who am I question. We don't, we don't really like to admit that we're asking who am I questions. It's like, what happened at Central this weekend? Some big bald guy from Texas came, and we just like kind of navel-gazed and asked ourselves who we are, but... The Bible shows us that there were people in the Bible and, and, and they faced the who am I question. David, who was a big major king, he had a big mistake, an adulterous affair, and he found himself even asking, who am I, Lord, that you would still be mindful of me? Peter, one of the big disciples, Jesus's main guys, Jesus actually asked him one time, I don't care what everybody else says about me, I wanna know who you say that I am. Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are Peter. See, I wanna tell you something about identity and the who am I question. Until you know who Jesus is, you'll never really know who you are. You'll never be able to understand who you really are. And so we're gonna look at this who am I question, and I wanna tell you the story 
of Moses. Your pastor preached on it a few months ago. And uh, I want to tell you about Moses, this, this main character in the Bible. Even if you haven't read the Bible, you may have heard about Moses, right? There's, there's movies about him, let my people go, you know. It's like there's Disney movies. And, and, and yet before we get to Exodus 3.10, though, I want to I show you what area of the who am I question that we really want to dig in this weekend because it's one Moses struggled with. And, and I want to ask this question. I want you to think about it. Who am I when I feel insecure? Who am I, the highest value of human beings is to feel safe. Who am I when I feel insecure? You have a little transition. You have a little anxiety start coming your way. You have a lot of anxiety. You have fear for the future. Fear is, is, is so prevalent in our culture today because if it bleeds, it leads, and fear can be a motivator for us, and so there's fear coming your way, and you take a little depression or a little transition or a kid struggle or a job struggle. It, it forms this cocktail that becomes really paralyzing, this insecurity issue. Here's what I've learned Moms have a lot of reason today to feel insecure. There's a lot of pressure, pressure we didn't used to have. Now because we live with this life and people having a window into our worlds and the world we live in, moms have always had pressure, but they have more today. It's like I, I have three daughters. I've never seen a woman who walks up to a mirror, looks at herself and goes, man, it's looking great. I mean, a man... That brother, he'll have hair growing out his back, his ears. Brother, just walk out there, pit stains. We're looking good today. All right. That's all right. <laughs> Moms have this pressure. You got to be a, a chef. You've got to be a perfect mom. I've never seen a mom who didn't say, these kids, am I going to mess them up for the rest of their lives? Am I doing it right? And you gotta have the Instagram photo because of the world we live in. The light's gotta shine in right off the desert onto a perfect scone that you made from scratch. Hallelujah. Dads, a lot of reasons to feel insecure. You've gotta hit the job requirements. You didn't think you would be where you are. You thought it would have happened faster. You need to hit the bucket list items. And then you come in a church like Central where you hear this message, man, we need you guys to be spiritual leaders. I have a real heart for men. We don't like to say, we don't like to publicize our insecurities, but we have them. You hear a word like be a spiritual leader. Can I tell you, men, you're huge. You're massive to the equation. Thank God for the moms. Thank God for the moms and grandmas. My mom was an intercessor. Thank God for the moms and grandmas that prayed for us yeah, I'm telling you, thank God. You got a mom or a grandma or an aunt. But I, I see prayer requests as a pastor where there, there, there's kids praying for dad and, and wives praying for the dad to, to come into this spirit. But you know what? We know how to hit a ball. We know how to close a deal. We know how to handle this. But no one's ever taught us how to be those spiritual leaders. So pressure, and, and that can make you feel insecure, and you run from things that you don't feel like you can win at. Young adults have a lot of pressure today. It's like I 
talked to a young lady the other day, a young adult. She's like, I've been a bridesmaid like five times in the last two years. When's my moment coming? When's the dude going to show up? Pressure to hit the degree, to hit all the things. Did you know youth today have a lot of insecurities? I, I, we took several thousand kids to camp this summer. We had vacation Bible school. We had middle school and fifth and sixth grades, and we had high school kids. And I asked our team, I said, after all this camp, what's the number one thing young people are dealing with? When I grew up, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They said anxiety. Anxiety. You're only as happy as your unhappiest child. I grabbed a group of teenagers in our city and I, took a, I asked to, to use the library and I got students from around our city and I brought them together in a library and just sat down like a dad and just said, guys, tell me about this thing. Tell me about why you have so much anxiety. Tell me where your insecurities are coming from. And man, by the time they were finished talking, I was crying, they were crying. They have so much pressure. You've got to get into this school. You've got to be here by now. You've got to, everything is so accelerated that it isn't even the pressure always that we're putting on them. It's the pressure that they have themselves. And there's nothing like having a kid struggle spiritually that'll make you feel insecure. There's a story in the Bible that Jesus doesn't play fair and he talks about a son who walks away from the father and, and ends up out in loose living and loses everything and ends up in a pig pen and comes to his senses and comes back to his dad. It's called the prodigal son. It shows the heart of the father that he's always waiting at his house for any of his kids to come back home. I was preaching on that story in the middle of talking about who am I. Before we moved to our new building, we were in a grocery store behind Taco Casa. That's the house of the taco in Texas, if you've never been there. And in our grocery store, we had five services, and I was talking about kids and kid pain, and there's no pain like kid pain, and, and how insecure you can feel when your kid's not doing well. I walked out after the third service, and there was a man well put together. He, he looked like he kind of had life by the tail. He walked out, and his eyes were red. He had cried the entire message. He walked up to me, and he said, Pastor, this is my prodigal. Had a picture of his son. He said, he's not doing well, Pastor. Will you pray for him? I took that picture in our next few services. I stood up in front of our church. I said, this is so-and-so's prodigal. Let's lift him up to Jesus. Let's, let's pray for him. By the end of the next few services, I had little pieces of paper, little pictures. Pray for mine, preacher. Pray for mine, preacher. Pray for mine, pastor. A lot of things in our life, not only in our life, but in our families' lives, in our kids' lives that can make us feel insecure. And then some of you out there are empty nesters. You're like, man, I'm at a different phase of life. Wouldn't This is what's interesting about this insecurity thing. You would think you would graduate from it. You would think that you would get to a certain place in life and you wouldn't feel insecure, but I meet empty nesters all the time who are like, man, I don't know what my next is, and I have regret about things that I've done. I wish I would have done this different, and can I say to all of you that are empty nesters or at that phase of life, you can't retire from kingdom work. You can't retire from the things God has for you. The enemy will tell you, oh man, this is just you know a cool church full of young people with you know, Jesus, Jesus. You're like, man, I don't know, man. It's like, I don't know if I fit. Let me just tell you, 
We need you in the body of Christ. We need you on the team. We need, there's a generation coming behind that you could have so much influence on and help. We can't have you check out of the game. You're like, okay, Jeff, I think we all have this insecurity thing, but what does Moses have to tell us about it? Moses in Exodus 3.10 is where we're gonna go. Let me give you some of Moses' backdrop. His Egyptian name means son. His Hebrew name means drawn from the waters. If he had a Wikipedia page over the banner of it, it would be chosen. He should be the most secure person on the planet, Moses should be. Maybe you know his story. In a time when babies were being killed, his mom put him in a basket in the river. The Pharaoh's daughter pulls him from the river and he's raised in the king's palace. He's been chosen. He should see God's providence and God's promise and God's plan for his life. But he has a big moment where he makes a mistake. Can you relate? He sees his people being hurt and he kills an Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. And he does what a lot of us do. When you blow it, when you mess up, it happens all over the Bible. I'm so glad we don't have an edited version of the Bible I'm glad we get to see the real people, the real mistakes, the real troubles. And do you want to know a pattern from the Bible and a pattern in my life and yours? When you mess up, instead of running to God, you run away from God. You just begin to run. And so he ran, get this, he ran for 40 years. 40 years he runs from the plan of God for his life. Right here where we're about to read in Exodus 3.10, I'm gonna give you a big preacher word. There's a theophany, a theophany. You're like, what does that mean? It's actually a manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament in a bush that catches on fire and doesn't burn up. And that's what's about to happen. What's about to happen is a bush on fire where God's talking from it and Moses now is 80 years old. You know what I love about God? You're never too young. I was a 21-year-old senior pastor. I didn't say I was a good one. I said I was one. In fact, I think the people I pastored in that moment, they walked the earth with Moses, um, actually. God never says you're too young, and he never says you're too old. The devil always say, oh, you're too young, you're too young. Oh, you're too old. No, 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 right here at 80, It says this from the scriptures. God says to him, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, see it there? Who am I? When God has a plan for your life, the first biggest struggle to get over is, who am I? You look at yourself. You look at your inadequacies. That's what he did. He says this, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. That's the game changer. By the way, the further you are from God, the more disconnected you are from God, the more you'll struggle with insecurity and identity issues. The enemy will absolutely torment you the further you are from God. He says, look, here's the game changer. I'll be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses, here he is, I love this, so real, He's not convinced, you know, I don't know if you've ever negotiated with God. He's like, suppose I go, 
You ever done a suppose I do it, Lord? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, notice God is real insecure. He, he, he doesn't give his resume. He doesn't give his Instagram profile. He doesn't lay out all of his things here. He just says, I am who I am. When you're struggling with insecurity, the only way you can find security is to anchor yourself to the security that is in God where he says, I am the great I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. Say, just say, I am has sent me to you. Then there's a whole rest of the chapter three and the first part of four where there's a big negotiation going on and a lot of dialogue between Moses and God. I love the transparency of it. Let's go to Exodus 4.10 though and look at the end of the conversation. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Now he's gonna remind God of why he can't do everything God's called him to do. I've never been eloquent, so he's talking about his ability to speak, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I don't know if you know this, Lord, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. I don't know if you ever laugh at the Bible. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? God's like, look, I was kind of here before any of this was here. I breathed the stars into existence. I think I got this. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So he comes back. Now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. And then Moses, the man of faith and power of the hour, the giant of scripture, he says something so faith-filled. Pardon your servant, Lord. Can you please get somebody else? <laughs> Have you ever been there? Lord, you got the wrong one. I think this pastor's like talking about somebody else, like, you're talking about, no, 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 no. You don't know, I've got special issues, Pastor. I got special mess here. I've got, I've got more complicated trouble here. This is not like within God's realm. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but that's the people God specializes in. I, I told you I was a senior pastor at 21. Well, you know, the truth is I was called to ministry at 12 years old. I kind of have a radical story my mom was an intercessory prayer person, like I said. You didn't want to ask her a logical question, but you do want her to, to, to pray for you if you get sick. You know, she's, she's a prayer warrior. My dad was an engineer, pocket protector, mechanical pencil engineer, horn rim glasses, drafting table. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. He's where I get my strategic side. I was 12 years old. The Holy Spirit came in my room. I'm calling you to ministry. I didn't even know what it meant. And I came out into our family room. I had big crocodile tears. I'm like, Mom, Dad, I think I'm called to ministry. My mom said, thank you, Jesus, I knew it. My dad said, sit down, boy. We're gonna diagram this for a minute, figure out how you're gonna pay your bills the rest of your life. <laughs> a pastor let me preach at 16. I became a pastor at 21, and I gotta tell you, God doing that in my life at a young age, there was a lot of insecurities. Will these people listen to me? Will I be able to do it? I, I know you may not relate to being a pastor, but just transpose it into whatever it is that God's calling you to, what your new is, what your next is, your new family step, your new work step. Here's the truth. No matter what context we're in, we all feel like Moses. We all feel the same way. Insecurity 
is illogical. It just comes to us. Now, I wanna spend my last few moments, and I don't want you just to leave Central this weekend inspired. I want you to have some practical help. So I wanna tell you three ways you can live more securely. I wanna give you some practical help. Number one, don't put your security in anything that can't sustain it. Boy, we have a tendency to do that, don't we? Put our security in our career, job starts going well, put our security in our achievements there. Boy, don't put your security in your job. Don't put your security in your recovery. You put your security in Jesus who restores, redeems, and recovers. Don't put your security in your kids. Oh, oh, no, 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 don't do that. They will mess it up. Don't put your security in anything on the external. What is the story of Moses telling us? It's telling us, God's saying, I'll be with you. That's the game changer. I'm the great I am. And if you'll anchor yourself to God's security, to God's stability, to who God is, you'll find yourself seeing that insecurity flushed out of your life. You'll just, it'll just happen. You'll look back and go, how did it happen? And, and I love the testimony story. Just simple stuff like, did you hear what Jeff said? He said, I just started coming to church. I just started going to meet with young adults. I just started reading my Bible. I, I, did you hear him? He found joy in it. Like it, it started getting momentum as a powerful thing. Can I say to somebody here, you may have been running, but God sent me here this weekend to say, stop running. Go the other direction and just step by step. It's not about getting overwhelmed. Just take the next step in front of you. And over time, you're like, wow, I'm I'm finding peace. I'm finding strength. I just want to tell somebody, it's going to be okay. But God's saying to you, I brought you to this moment to show you, you can't depend on your own strength. You can't depend on your own ability. If you could have fixed yourself, you would have already done it by now. You need me. Now let's get even more practical. The second thought is, what do we do with these weaknesses that we have that make us feel insecure? Lean into your weaknesses to leverage more of God's strength. We don't really have that in our world. I do love that about your church. I love that you have a billboard that says you, you don't have to be okay. I, I love that your pastor, I watch a lot of his messages and I love the fact that he's aware of what I'm about to show you and he teaches you on it, but sometimes it helps for somebody on the outside to remind you it's the grace of God. We, we don't live in a world that says, leverage your weaknesses for more of God's strength. We live in a world that says, fake it till you make it. Don't let them see you sweat. Don't let them know you have a problem. But the Bible says this. Let me read this verse. He said to me, my grace is kind of okay for you. My grace maybe is adequate for you. My grace possibly could work for you. Come on now. No, no, no. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Some of you may be new here to Central. 
Again, thank God for encouraging music and the atmosphere and people being baptized and Pastor Judd who's speaking a message and you might think, man, this is just an atmosphere where, where there's these people here who have kind of surrounded themselves with positivity and, and by the way, positive is better than negative. I'll take it any time. But this isn't just an atmosphere of positive mental thinking. This isn't like psychological, let's give you some, some new psychological ideas. No, 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 this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. That in Jesus, it's his grace. Did you know the number one section of the bookstore in our world today is self-help? Number one most sold book in America, self-help. Had a guy the other day tell me, I'm a self-made man. I said, why'd you make yourself like that, brother? You live life long enough, you realize pain comes to all of us. We all become acutely aware that we are finite and we are broken and we need help. We all learn that as you journey through life. The question's not, have we made a mistake? People say, man, I came to church and I felt guilty. The reason you feel guilty is because you are guilty. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know God is holy and perfect. We know we've made mistakes. The question's not, are we broken? The question is, how do we fix it? What do we do? And I love this about God. He doesn't work around our insecurities. He works right through them. In fact, what you see as a flaw or a weak area is the very place God wants to show up and show himself strong in your life. I want you to know that, it's true. That's a great place to clap. Did you know the very pain point of your life could be the very place God shows up with the most strength in your life? Let me give you the final one in our final moments. This is really, really, really practical. You gotta submit your self-talk to the truth of God's word. Now, I'm talking about where the battle's won. Like, like this is how we go on the offensive. I, I hate seeing people that God loves just getting beat up and not realizing you have an offensive weapon. You're like, Jeff, how do I get rid of this insecurity, this anxiety? How do I help my child with their fears? What do we do? Well, God has given us an offensive weapon, the word of God. And it's, it's great that you have Pastor Judd and Lori, and, and I love this new series. If, if I were you, I would jump headlong into this Philippian series, because it's talking about what I'm talking about this weekend, helping you find joy and helping you find happiness and letting the Word of God replace all of the thoughts that we have. And thank God that they have Bible studies and video teaching, Lori's video teaching, amazing. You want to go through it. But I wanna tell you, at some point, you gotta grab a hold of the weapon for yourself. You gotta learn how to use it yourself. I, I, I'm from Texas, so football is, is, a, is a national religion in Texas. And I coached Little League football in my city. Before I even had kids, I would coach Little League football because that's where all the people were. They weren't at church, they were at the ball field. So I, I, so I went there, I started coaching teams. And, and, uh, and, and I'm kind of a coach at heart, you know, and so I also played offensive line. If you don't know about football, offensive lines were these big guys that overeat, <laughs> kind of get up there in the front, and they never get any press. They never make any of the ESPN highlights. It's the pretty boy in the back back there and the wide receiver, and, 
And these guys never get any credit, but if they don't do their job, pretty boy is going to be on injured reserve. So just so you know how the game is played, it's, it's one right there at the line of scrimmage. So my little boys, I'd yell out to them, where's it one at? They say, in the trenches, coach. Well, let me tell you where insecurity, self-talk, the, the negative thought processes that lead to your life. The Bible says, as you think, so are you. Where do you fight those battles? How do you fight those battles? You have to take the truth of God's word and you've got to apply them to the battle. Now, I'm talking to you as someone who has to deploy that in my own life. I've got the pain of challenges. I've got problems, situations as a pastor. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Did you know I still to this day, after being raised in church and preaching the gospel since I was 21, I'll wake up some mornings and have an irrational fear about one of my kids, about something going on in church. So I will, fear is an irrational thing that comes to all of us. You say, what do you do, pastor? Well, I have scripture on the back of my phone. I have it on the dash of my car. My new grandbaby, when they went for his first sonogram, he had a huge cyst on the back of his neck. And they began to say, well, he's gonna, he's gonna have this, he's gonna have this, he's gonna have this related to that. It could be cancer. But, but, but what did we do as a family? Instead of letting fear overtake us, we went to Psalm 139 and every family member got a note card. I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. I wove you together, I put you together, I am God. And we put it on the dash of the card. Did you know our last sonogram, the cyst was undetectable? <laughs> undetectable. You say, why do you tell us that? Well, you have a choice just to get overwhelmed by fear or to apply the word of God. I'll tell you this final story and then I'll pray for you. My youngest, who's the seventh grader now when she was six, her name is Lainey Kate. It means bright light. She's my bright light. She's my baby. When she was six, she had an elbow that quit working and we thought it was broke and they put it in a cast and, and then... After that, they pulled it out of the cast and realized it still wasn't working, and so they did all these tests, and they sent us to these specialists, and I'll be transparent with you. I was kind of like not really keyed into what was going. They sent us to a rheumatologist, and after a day worth of testing, then she was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis. And man, it was just like fear, insecurity. Will she be able to have kids? Will she be okay? What do we do? They had to get this elbow working. They took a long needle. You know, there's no pain like kid pain. Your kid getting this needle. I have a heart for any of you that have kids with medical conditions. I have compassion for you because I've lived it. We go to that hospital at, in Dallas, the Shriners Hospital, kids that have handicaps and ailments and things. We still go there today for her treatments. That day, though, man, I just couldn't take it. I had to walk out of the room. I was just, I was a mess. My wife was in there holding down the fort. She got that injection. We would spend two years her taking medicine that would cause her to literally throw up for two days a week. But after that injection, that next morning, all of this news that we got and fears and insecurities, I woke up that morning. I'm, I'm thinking about Lainey Kate. I get up out of bed. I'm headed up the stairs to see how she's doing. And She's coming down the stairs. When she's coming down the stairs, I look at her, I say, baby girl, how you doing? And she said something, you know, sometimes out of the mouth of babes that really went deep into my heart. She said, dad, I haven't lost my joy. I thought, man, I'm convicted. I'm convicted. 
somehow, some way in children's church and around the Bible, the joy of the Lord is my strength had sunk into her. Maybe some of you here today, you're going through a challenging thing and God says he doesn't want you to be insecure. He doesn't want you to be afraid. He doesn't want you to lose your joy. I want every person to bow their heads no matter where you're at, even watching online. I wanna pray over every single one of you, but I believe the first group I wanna pray for right now is some of you are that person who's been running and maybe a friend has brought you or maybe there was a connection somehow. Maybe you're just thinking, how did I even end up in this place? And right where you are, God has been moving in your heart and life. Jesus wants to become your Lord and Savior. You're like, Jeff, how do you really do that? Is there some formal formality? I'm not asking you to join a church, an institution. I think the best word that describes it is simply surrender. Would you just surrender and say, Jesus, you can have my life? In fact, I'm giving you the words. It's not even about the words. It's about your heart. You just might say, Jesus, here I am. You know what I've done? You can have my heart. You can have my life. I surrender today. If you're not right with him, just say, Jesus, I surrender. I believe. You say it to him. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I accept you today as my Lord and Savior. In fact, I like to say it this way. You can say, would you be my Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, personalize it, and he comes into your life. And if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says you are saved. I want to find out who I prayed with. I'm not going to embarrass you, make you stand up, every head bowed. You say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer with you. Would you just slip your hand up, say, I prayed that prayer. Okay, hands up across this room. And here's what I would encourage you if you raised your hand. Take a step. Come to step one. Do whatever steps that you're going to receive from, from, from your pastors and, and, and get traction and grow. And don't let the enemy pull you off to the side. In a week, he'll be telling you, oh, that wasn't real. That was just an emotional talk and you just responded emotionally. It's not true. You're changed. You're saved. You're different. Now take steps to connect with his church. I want to pray with a second group of people all across this room. How many here say, Jeff, I've been dealing with some insecurities and fears, maybe some anxieties, maybe some depression. You just, I've I just been facing some challenges. Would you pray for me? Just lift your hand so I can pray for you. Say, and I know God sent me all the way from Texas right here to encourage some of you with your hands lifted. Lord Jesus, I pray for an infusion of hope, an infusion of faith to every person with their hand lifted. Lord, this is, isn't motivational babble. This isn't church activity. Lord, we stand with what you told Moses. You'll be with every one of these people. Lord, you have provided for them everything they need. And Lord, right now, I pray in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every other name, that this moment, Lord, you're strengthening them, you're encouraging them, Lord, they're putting their security and anchoring themselves to you so they can face everything that they have ahead of them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you, Central. What an honor to be here. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe and review this podcast and connect with us on social media by following at Central Online. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Central. You can simply visit centralchurch.online slash give, and you can give a gift today. And thanks again for joining us on the Central Church Podcast.